Sitting at the house of mercy On the water's edge Was a man who met the Savior So the gospel said Waiting there he was With the lepers and the lame Till an angel it was told Down from heaven came Folks came from all around Near and far Just to sit here at the house of mercy Waiting for the waters to stir We're just sitting at the house of mercy Waiting for the waters to stir Even simply to pause or reflect, to question our emotional reflexes, corrects a culture bent on unleashing our most primitive and destructive energies. There's only three sentences and I had a hard time reading <laughs> But I can tell it's gonna be a good one tonight. <laughs> yeah. You know, from there. Hey, it's so good to see all you guys here. And what about this band, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. unbelievable. I is, well, one word, flutastic. I mean, <laughs> really, that's it, flutastic. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, well, you know. Um, yeah, so, hey, we got a few, a few announcements, and uh, it's just a shout-out to everybody who's still continuing to listen on the podcast. Uh, um, oh, when you say a shout-out, do you then have to shout something out, or is that the shout-out? Hey, just a shout out to. I think that's the shout. That's out. the shout out. I think okay. That, I mean, yeah. so you don't have to like. Whoo! I don't know. What, I don't know what it would be. Hey, thanks for listening. I know it's like okay, yeah, flutastic. All right, yeah. Hey, you know everyone likes produce. I know, and then free produce. Produce. Who doesn't like free produce? Well, not very many people. I know. Um, uh, Open Hands, this neighborhood food program that's run here out of Bethlehem, they are giving away free produce every Wednesday. And in fact, they have green peppers left over from last time. You can take if you want green peppers. So many green peppers. They're great. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, please take them and uh, take, take as many as you want. If There's one of you just wants to grab the whole box, that's fine. There's more downstairs. <laughs> really. And, you know, if you don't need produce but you know someone who does, there are flyers back there for the free produce giveaway um, that you could give to someone else that might be interested. So Wednesdays, free produce in the parking lot here. Yeah, this is, they do this for the fall, through the harvest. They have um, arrangements with farmers. And, uh, yeah, so they have the dates here, like I think every Wednesday through the end of September, free yeah. produce. Yeah. Hey, um, we, I don't know if you've been hearing about these respectful conversations that the Minnesota Council of Churches is, uh, has been doing. It's a program they've been doing for a couple of years now. But uh, this Tuesday from 6 to 8.30, Bethlehem is going to host um, one of these conversations here in the parking lot. There will be dinner, gluten-free and vegetarian options, and um, a, a green pepper forward option will be <laughs> offered. And uh, that it's just uh, bringing community members together and uh, just to kind of have conversations about the events of the last year, 
and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of racial reckoning. Yeah. Yeah, and people with various points of view trying to have peaceful conversations. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Where do they get the conservative people? I think some people that come to this church. Not oh. our church, but, you know. <laughs> Point them out. <laughs> All right. Okay. No. We're not... I'm not being respectful. I'm sorry. I need to go with the conversation. That's good. <laughs> and we have no specific political affiliation, right? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who is a Democrat? No, I'm just, <laughs> I can't help it. It's in the Bible. Yeah. This is the House of Mercy, if you could not tell, and welcome to it. My latest sun is sinking fast. My race is nearly run. My strongest trials now are past. My triumph is begun. Oh, come, angel band, come and round me stand. Oh, bear me away on your snow wee wings to my immortal home. Oh, bear me away on your snow wee wings to my immortal home. Oh, I'm nearing holy ranks and friends and kindred near. I brush the dew on Jordan's banks. The crossing must be near. Oh, come, angel band, come and around me stand. Oh, bear me away on your snowy wings. To my mortal home, oh, bear me away on your snowy wings. To my mortal home, I've almost gained my heavenly home. My spirit loudly sings. The holy ones, behold, they come. I hear the noise of wings. Stand, oh, bear me away on your snowy wings to my mortal home. Oh, bear me away on your snowy wings to my mortal home. Oh, bear my longing heart to him who bled and died for thee. Whose blood now cleanses from all sin and gives me victory. Oh, come, angel band, come and around me stand. Oh, bear me away on my snowy wings to my mortal home. Oh, bear me away. On your snowy wings to my immortal home. Please join me in the prayer of invocation.
God of mercy, remind us of the beauty and the possibility inherent in our gathering here together in this Sabbath, away from the strictures of the way the world works and the bombast of Babylon, sheltered in this space here tonight from the unrelenting bad news and breakdown of this strange land, held in this carved out place of your peace. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you all. Uh, let's share a sign of peace with one another. We're going to play a, a song that someone played at our wedding, actually, and we like it a whole lot, so we thought we'd share it with you today as well. Uh, it's an old, Ca uh, an old Johnny Cash song called Cause I Love You. I'll sweep out your chimney, yes, and I will bring you flowers, yes, and I will do for you most anything you want me to. If we live in a cottage, you'll feel like it's a castle by the royal way you're treated and attention shown to you. I'll be there beside you if you need a crying shoulder. Yes, I'll be there to listen when you need to talk to me. When you wake up in the darkness, I'll put my arms around you and hold you till the morning sun comes shining through the trees. I'll be right beside you, no matter where you travel. I'll be there to cheer you till the sun comes shining through. And if we're ever parted, keep the tie that binds us and never let it break, cause I love you. Take all your troubles and I'll throw them in the river Then I'll bundle down beside you and I'll keep you from the cold I'll be right beside you no matter where you travel And I'll be there to cheer you until the sun comes shining through And if we're ever parted, we'll keep the tie that binds us and Never let it break cause I love you no, we'll never let it break, cause I love you. That's right, we'll never let it break, cause I love you. Thank you. Please join me now in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer with Lord in your mercy and I invite you to respond, hear our prayer. In the shadow of Babylon, downwind from the fires, out beyond the epicenter of the earth's quake and the tremble, adjacent to the daily injustices, but more perpetrators than victim. Our privileges vary 
but they keep us from the worst effects of our world falling apart. God of mercy, draw us closer to the fire so we might see, and seeing that, we might confess our complicity, and having confessed, receive the mercy which moves us to act in love and humility with those who suffer. Lord, in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for all of those people in our lives who are in need of healing, physical, emotional, and spiritual. We pray for all those who are victims of violence in Afghanistan, Nicaragua, Chicago, and our neighborhoods. Bring healing and understanding can lead to peace. We pray for the thousands of Haitian families who've lost loved ones in the earthquake, and we pray for all those who've suffered from the decades of systemic racism in that country. We pray, Lord, for all those who continue to suffer from the COVID-19 virus. We pray for those who are prisoners and those who are prisoners of addiction. We pray for those who are lonely and those who are left to negotiate day to day on their own. We also pray especially for our sister Maria Bianchi as she goes through this cancer treatment. Let her feel your presence, bring her healing, peace. We know that you are a healer, Lord in your mercy. God of mercy, remind us now and in this coming week of the importance of taking time, setting apart time in which we neither speak nor listen. Meet us now in this extended time of silence. Lord, let it be 
for tonight is Psalm number 137, which I have a very difficult time reading and not singing. Okay. All right. <clears throat> By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. The word of God. I totally understand the benefits of self-control or like emotional restraint. Pausing to reflect 
To question our emotional reflexes seems hugely important in these days of wall-to-wall -wall outrage. But living in a community with three other families, four very Scandinavian men, I sometimes find all the emotional restraint exasperating. What do you feel? Do you know what you feel? May I feel? I'm not Mr. Spock. We're human, not Vulcan. I don't think stoicism is one of the qualities I most admire. But Minnesota is the land of the frozen in more than one way. And then there's cool. Not usually the problem with the Scandinavians but also something that can be exasperating, for me anyway. It, it doesn't encourage emotional honesty. I mean, when Miles Davis turned his back on the audience when he played the trumpet, turned his back on the racist white square empire like he was refusing to perform for the man, cool as a sort of resistance to the dominant white supremacist culture, that cool seems so cool. I guess I need a better vocabulary. But that's different when the white and the privileged put it on. When it's sponsored by corporation, when, when products or people are cooled and uncooled to keep the economy churning or more likely make someone who is already rich richer. Mid-century modern from Ikea. Vintage clothes made in Central American sweatshops for H&M. Some people talk about cool as something that originated as an attitude fostered by slaves, rebels, and political dissidents. People that if they openly, openly rebelled, they'd, they'd be inviting punishment, maybe horrible and painful punishment. So they hid their dissent behind a wall of ironic detachment, distancing from the power instead of directly confronting it. Cool. But in the hands of consumer capitalism, cool changed from being a silent, knowing rejection of racist oppression to being a way to sell things. That's how the empire's machine keeps working, always churning resistance into its gears. Cool probably lost its capacity to be a tool against the regime even before it was used to sell Max. But still, that's a pretty clear marker that it lost its capacity to be revolutionary. And I'm not really up on current marketing trends, surprising, I know. But it seems like things have shifted, as they must to keep the consumers consuming. It seems like maybe warm and sincere is making a comeback in marketing, like love, it's what makes a Subaru. But I actually don't even know, are they still using that? Or maybe corporations can just so tailor their marketing efforts to the individual these days with the internet that they don't even really need an overall strategy. And I just think warm is in because I'm not cool. But I really don't want to talk about marketing. I want to talk about feelings or whether or not I want to talk about feelings, one, Psalm 137 is overflowing with them. I don't think we 
that we know what to do with our feelings a lot of times. I mean, I guess we know express them in a healthy way. But just looking around culture today, and in the mirror, I'm sure, I don't think we're very good at that. I sense a lot of feelings when I pass the gauntlet of flags on the gravel road to my house. F Biden and everyone who voted for him. God's guns and guts made America. Let's keep all of three. There's a new flag every couple days. It seems like people are flying them because they feel something. I don't know, is outrage a feeling? I know anger is. And it's, it's not just from the right, obviously. And I mean, there's a lot to feel angry about. On behalf of the people of Afghanistan, indigenous people, African Americans, Line 3, COVID-19. But, wow, social media has unleashed such torrents of meanness. There is a lot going on that might make a person feel angry. But I don't quite understand the need for outrage because a parent from Ohio asked in the parent forum if there would be closet space in her daughter's dorm room. But the torrent of outrage it did unleash. I think America might be having a hard time handling emotions. There are some theological traditions, mostly Protestant white male theology, that has maintained that morality, ethics requires that one be disengaged from emotions. The rational is reliable. The senses are suspect. But even though I can see, see the appeal of claiming that, is that how it works? The Psalms are so not disengaged from emotion, contained, restrained, or detached. They are not cool. There are some Psalms of thanksgiving, but there are a lot of Psalms of complaining. There's a category called Psalms of complaint, lament. There's some happiness and gratitude expressed in the Psalms, but there's more pain and shame and anger and anxiety and doubt and fear. The book is full of cursing and ranting, often juxtaposed with a quiet sort of reaching toward some sort of peace or comfort. The Psalms are really a jumble, some sweetness next to a lot of raging. This seems sort of accurate to me, like, about the human condition. If you're not feeling Psalm 137, the sadness and humiliation and outrage of the Israelites forced into slavery in Babylon, there's not much there. I mean, what Phyllis read was not systematic theology. It's more like sadness and anger and humiliation and a vulnerable sort of dignity and graphic curses made into poetry. Psalm 137 is not restrained. It's really sad and really angry. It's a slave song, or actually sort of anti-song, because it's about not singing. 
The giant crushing empire of Babylon had carried the Israelites away from their home and all their hope. And they're forced to work in the waters of Babylon, which was this huge, intricate system of canals and irrigation dams and plumbing, like the beginning of Western civilization, some people say. They had running water to remove the empire's excrement. And the Hebrew people are being forced to do this labor, cleaning the waste from the canals that carry the refuse of the empire. And while they're working, their captors, or as the poet calls them, their tormentors, say, sing us one of those songs of Zion. We know you can play the music. The poet says our tormentors asked for mirth, like some sort of vicious request for a minstrel show. So the poet is very angry and very emotive. He is not going to sing to this audience. Better his playing hand wither than he play music for the empire. Better his tongue cling to the roof of his mouth than he forget Zion, the promised land. Forget how the tormentors yelled, tear it down, tear it down. He calls a curse down on himself if he ever forgets. Imagine your tongue clinging to the roof of your mouth. It's sort of a bizarre and graphic curse. Stuff my throat with my tongue. Make my right hand useless if I ever forget. The poet believes it's essential not to detach, not to forget the violence the empire has perpetrated against their land and their souls. So the poet's definitely feeling. But of course, feeling something and violent fantasies of revenge seem different. But maybe not if you've actually seen your children dashed against the rocks. But so yeah, the poem ends on this note. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. It's a horrible Im image. It's a blood-curdling curse. It's kind of a weird thing to have in your scripture. Happy may they be who dash your baby's head against the rock. Let his days be few, may his children become orphans and his wife a widow. May curses enter his innards like water and like oil in his bones. These are curses in the Psalms that people use in worship. Seems like some weird ancient cult, which it was actually. Curses and candlelight and dead birds on the altar, bones and blood and feathers. It was a long time ago, and a lot of people believed in curses, and, and they believed in spells even. Cursing was actually an integral part of life. Ancient Near Eastern texts are filled with treaty curses and inscription curses and incantations to undo curses. So that's what people did a lot. They called down curses. It's sort of a weird thing, raw, nothing hidden. Most of us learn that disengaging from emotion is a better way to handle things. But 
people learn this so well sometimes that they don't even know what they feel. The pastor of the church I grew up in sat us all down at youth group and put a plastic sheet on the overhead projector, is that what they call them? Overhead projectors. It was a picture of a train with three cars. And the first car was labeled fact. Fact was the engine. The next car was labeled faith, which was pulled by fact. And then there was the caboose, feeling. The teaching so well imaged by this train was that you needed the facts that we knew were true beyond a shadow of a doubt, and you need the faith pulled by the facts. But the caboose, the feeling, you could cut that off, and the train would still run. So go ahead, cut it off, shove it down, repress. I don't think that was helpful. Like, I don't think it helped us with our feelings. Like, okay, sure, an engine can run without a caboose, but we are not trains. Blood-curdling curses seem truer to me somehow. The psalmist seems quite in touch with his feelings. There's a lot of unfettered anger, violent imagery expressed across the pages of scripture. Do we say that it shouldn't be there, or they didn't really mean it, or we need to clean it up? I mean, plenty of editing went on in the scriptures, but outrage remains firmly a part of the text. Violence, obviously, remains firmly a part of the world. How do we react to all the brutality or the slow suffocation, the destruction of so many varieties, all that destruction that the empire wreaks? And it does reek. What is the source of the political divisions that make people dig in against vaccines? I don't think it's that they have evil hearts. Are we in a climate crisis because you failed to put your plastic water bottle in the recycling? I don't think so. The empire wreaks destruction. Feeling nothing about that doesn't seem helpful, or even not feeling much. Coolly sifting through the refuse of the empire's canals making sure the system keeps running, doing its labor. I mean, composure has its limitations. The Psalms don't always look on the bright side. They do not keep on the sunny side. Maybe anger and despair need their space. The Hebrew people made this Psalm a part of their canon, and they, they've kept using it. Even after the immediate crisis, the Babylonian captivity seemed to be over, they still use it, and it's in the lectionary of the church. Maybe because the crisis is never really over, the empire will always make its subjects subservient, even as it changes from bricks and mortar to algorithms, influencers, the intention economy. The psalm... The Psalms kept the community from the temptation of denial, from the pretense that there had been no loss. The loss is real. 
Walter Brueggemann, the great theologian and biblical scholar, says, the return from exile, the way out of slavery for the Israelites, the way to freedom begins with an emotional act of civil disobedience. To be emotionally disobedient to the empire. I don't know what that means exactly, but it sounds to me like a good place to start. Don't let the algorithms dictate what you feel. Don't let them tell you what you desire. Don't buy what the machine is selling. If outrage is dictated by your feed, be outrageously graceful. If the empire says be cool, don't be. I mean, I don't know. Brueggemann says, instead of a fearful, striving self-preoccupation, to get free, you have to enter the pain of the world, of the other. That's like the opposite of emotional detachment. Enter the pain of the other, the world. It doesn't seem very attractive. Because a lot of us have enough of our own pain without entering the pain of the other, some COVID-denying, MAGA-loving, flag-waving, homophobic, liberal hater. But I can believe a little that might be a way to resist the death grip of Babylon. But, so yeah, the psalm is about not singing. Better to lose his plain hand and have his tongue cleave to the roof of his mouth than forget or accommodate or detach. But what's kind of beautiful is how many times and in how many ways this psalm has been put to music. Verde put it in the opera. Phyllis said she could hardly read it without singing it. It became an anthem for Italian revolutionaries. The Irish sang it, Don McLean. You might remember the version from Godspell and the Rastafarians, whose version I haven't been able to get out of my mind since I read this text first of the week, which is a long time to have a song in your head, I think. For the Rastafarians, the waters are the Atlantic Ocean, and Zion is Africa, where their fathers were taken into captivity and shipped to the Caribbean to be slaves. The Rastafarians sing a lot of psalms, actually. They like the emotive, unrestrained, revolutionary vocabulary. Music is their political tool. They use it to chant down the enemy, the Babylonian shitstem, as they so aptly call it. The corporate machine of the empire, the West, they're going to chant it down. Rather than taking up arms, they sing songs. They make music. The empire makes slaves, destroys land and souls, limits imagination, disnifying, commodifying work, buy, sell, turning life into its deathy machinations. If you live in the midst of empire, if you enjoy its privileges, how do you participate in its undoing? How do you resist its soul-numbing mechanisms? Grieve? Curse? Eat fire? Write poetry that won't sell? Love your enemy? Do good to those who hate you? Be grateful when the algorithms tell you to be angry? 
Be angry when the cops say quiet down? I don't know. But don't lose the caboose, or you might lose your love. And God knows that we need that. This is God's table, and all are welcome. On the night before he suffered, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you, take and eat. And in the same manner, after the meal, he took the cup and said, this is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of all sin. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. There's a land beyond the river that we call the sweet forever. And we only reach that shore by faith's decree. One by one we'll gain the portals there to dwell with the immortals when they ring the golden bells for you and me. Don't you hear the bells now ringing? Don't you hear the angels singing? Tis the glory, hallelujah, jubilee. In that far off sweet forever, just beyond the shining river, when they ring the golden bells for you and me. We shall know no sin or sorrow in that haven of tomorrow when our bark shall sail beyond the silver sea. We shall only know the blessing of our Father's sweet caressing when they ring the golden bells for you and me. Don't you hear the bells now ringing? Don't you hear the angels singing? Tis the glory, hallelujah, jubilee. You've been listening to the House of Mercy podcast. You can experience all this live every Sunday at 5. Check out www.houseofmercy.org for all the details. House of Mercy is a church in St. Paul. You should come. It's not that bad. When our days shall know their number, when in death we sweetly slumber, when the King commands the Spirit to be free, nevermore with anguish laden we shall reach that lovely Aiden when they ring the golden bells for you and me. When they ring the golden bells for you and me.